morning, everybody. Thanks for, thanks for being here this morning. Hope everyone's well. Um, and uh, we're starting a new uh, quarter. A couple other classes going on downstairs. This class, <clears throat> we're going to spend the next 10 weeks um, talking about vocation. So I want us to kind of go over the logistics of what that looks like and um, try to dive in. Today will be an orientation like getting our bearings, understanding what's going on, and, uh, and then start digging down into some of the more um, in-depth applications. Now, everyone in this room is at a different age or stage of life. This is not a talk or not a class about how do kids pick what they want to be when they grow up, but rather um, a biblical theology of calling. And so today we're going to start by looking at the caller and the called. Uh, but before we do, I would like to open us up in prayer. Tim. So let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are um, you're our sovereign king. You're the creator God who made all things. You've made us, and uh, we are nothing without you. Our very breath is given by you moment by moment, and, um, and we must confess, Father, as we come to you, that we take advantage of that. We take it for granted. We um, do not reflect on, um, on the reality of our station, um, and so please forgive us for that. Please forgive us for um, the, the arrogance that we, that we, that we live within that we have towards <clears throat> towards our lives, please forgive us for the um, the autonomous way that we try to control um, who we are and what we do and what we accomplish. Please help us, Father, by your by your Holy Spirit and by your Word and even by this community that you've called us to be a part of, to be uh, sharpened iron sharpening iron, to be humbled before you, and. Um, Humility and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so as we seek wisdom, we also seek for you to humble our hearts and minds and help us to think um, think the way that you think about this world that you've created and that you sustain. <clears throat> We're so grateful for uh, your son, for our Savior, our Redeemer. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us for our sins, that we have many. Your grace is all the more. And so we can have hope. Father, you called us uh, to be your people, a people uh, of the Most High King. And so there is uh, victory in the righteous, and our righteousness is in Christ, and so we have much to hope for. So I pray that you would help us to think through these things together um, so that we can uh, give our lives all the more faithfully to you and experience the joy that you've set before us uh, in that. We love you and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please come on in. There's um, there's some little notes. I don't know if you guys like notes. I you know, that's what everybody does. So. I don't have a PowerPoint or anything, so I thought I'd give you some notes. Um, and uh, feel free to to take them. I'll try to do that each week, but I don't want to make a promise that I can't keep. Um, logistically, like I said, there are ten weeks in this course. Uh, in theory, we start at 9.45, but I wasn't even ready then. <clears throat> so I'm going to try to keep the lessons pared down enough to fit within a 9.50-ish rolling start and a 10.40-ish <clears throat> rolling end so that you have time to go get your kids if you need to before worship and get coffee and, and talk. Uh, some other things, let's see. I, I'll be teaching, but also Tim Gwynn. If I get hit by a bus, um, then he'll be, he'll be coming in to, to fill in the gap. Um, Let's see, a little bit of an overview of the course. You have it on your handout, <clears throat> the syllabus. We'll run, it's, we're trying to do classes uh, quarter by quarter, so it's easy to remember. And so we're going to run through the end of um, this first quarter. The last class will be March the 26th. There are two weeks in there. I think it's the last week of February and the first week of March, but I'm not confident. Um, that will be the missions conference. And so we, those two weeks we'll have mission speakers in. We won't have class. <clears throat> but the other, the other 10 of the 12... We'll be meeting in here. And what we're going to try to cover, you can see, <clears throat> uh, this first class is called The Caller and the Called. So we're going to look at what is the context of calling. 
Next week, we'll look at the meaning of means. What is the concept of calling? What's it been throughout history? What have people thought it to be and, and to mean? And what is means? And how does God use those? Uh, then we'll move on into the scope of the summons. So what is the content of the call? Christ is Lord of all. Um, we're all where all does he call us to do and to be things? And then we're going to look at some of the uh, points of application across the various spheres of life. So called living out, or calling lived out in our work, in our families, in the church, and then in the society at large. So as, <clears throat> as all the different roles that we, that we have. Um, then we're going to look at, because what inevitably follows when you have studies on calling is how do I understand or discern or know what God is calling me to do or to be? What is, what is the will of God for me? And so we want to have uh, a couple of weeks where we try and figure out how do we know what the will of God is? Um, there's a wrong way to know that or to try to know that. And then there's a right way to actually know that. <clears throat> and that's based off the standard of Scripture. So we're going to try to dive into what God has revealed about himself and this world that he's made so that we can know what is it that he, uh, how does he want us to figure out what his will for us is. And then the last week will be um, a week on productivity. Sound, maybe that sounds off, but um, we have uh, limited resources here under the sun. One of our most limited is time. It keeps ticking away no matter what you're doing. And so uh, we want to know how can we steward the time that God's given us here. He numbers our days. How can we steward them well to have the most, most output and most impact for Christ and his kingdom? So that's a look at the course. <clears throat> um, the goal of the course is <clears throat> a few things. When, when someone talks about goals in the Christian context, what's one of the first things that kind of comes to mind? If someone says, what's, 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 the, what's the purpose in life? What's the goal of your life? Where do you go to in your head? Confession. A Confession. Thank you. So, Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism, question number one. What is man's chief end? The Shorter Catechism says man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Shorter Catechism was written for kids. Easier to remember. I don't have it memorized. I was not catechized as a kid. I'm learning it now as I catechize my kids. Um, And my five-and-a-half-year-old knows more of it than, you know, off the cuff than I do. Um, but um, the larger catechisms follow similar. It's longer. It has a little bit more to it. And it just says man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. I want to fully enjoy God now and forever. Um, and I don't, I don't do that. You know, I'm a, I, you can have words that you throw about towards, you know, like you think of personalities and different people. And you might have someone's just a really jolly guy. Someone's really, joy is not the thing that people normally, you know, attribute to me. But it ought to be. I'm a Christian. And so I want to learn how, this is part of my study in this, is I want to learn how to enjoy God uh, more fully, starting now and forever. I want to glorify him. I don't want to waste my life. And I know that none of you do either. And so um, it's an important and weighty thing. So the goal of this course is how is to try to figure out how we can do those things. Um, there are a few a few scripture touch points that I think are helpful for us um, in that. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Man's defense is to glorify God. Paul tells us that we need to glorify him in our bodies somehow. We're going to figure that out. Uh, Peter also speaks to this in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So again, there's something about uh, abstaining from passions of the flesh, keeping our conduct honorable, and, and somehow producing good deeds uh, that's going to help us to glorify God. But what about enjoyment? Um, Solomon, my favorite book of the Bible, is Ecclesiastes. 
for, uh, if I weren't a Christian, I'd be a cynic. And um, so I resonate with, you know, everything's a mist. <laughs> um, but, there's, but there's truth in there that we need to understand. And so in Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 25, he says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have any enjoyment? He goes on in chapter 3 to say, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We want to know how to do that. We have a few touch points here in Scripture. There's much, much more that's going to um, help us to unpack what that, what that means and how we do it. So the goal of this course is for students, all of us, to uh, discover or even maybe rediscover, as the case may be, um, the wisdom and love of God in his various callings upon our lives so that we may run the race set before us well and by his grace at work in us, we might accomplish more of that which he has purposed us to do and to be, namely, to glorify and enjoy him forever as individuals, for sure, uh, children of God adopted into his kingdom, but, but also as a royal nation, uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, a collective, uh, for God's own possession, proclaiming the virtues of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's 1 Peter. So <clears throat> that's the goal of the course. Big, big goal. Hope it happens. If we even move a few inches in that direction, that's going to be a good thing. If you can, if you can add glory to God, well, not add glory to God, but if you can glorify him more in your lives, and if you can find enjoyment in this little time you have under the sun, then um, what a testimony that could be. So let's work to that end. In this lesson, uh, the goal of lesson one is uh, for us to understand the context of calling. Uh, what are some of the requirements and elements and implications of it? Next week, we're going to talk more about the concept. Um, so we'll, what's it meant throughout history? What does it mean today? And what we ought to believe about it. But today's just going to be stepping back in the context. And so some questions to get us started thinking. Um, why are you here, not on earth, but in this room this morning for this class? Uh, for any of you who knew what the title or the topic might have been, uh, I'm sure some are here for the proximity to the coffee. But, um, but for those of you who came knowing generally what we might be talking about, um, what did you come here hoping to discuss or, or learn or share on the topic of vocation? Yeah, in general, as we go through, um, I, I, I learn best from lectures, and so I, I gravitate that way, but I know that that's a pitiful um, pedagogy, so it's, it's better to interact, so raise your hand, ask questions. If you don't like doing that in the middle of things, that's fine. Come to me afterwards. Um, I might not be able to answer questions off the cuff in the midst of our conversation. I'll try to keep us on track as best we can, but I want to try to address everything that, that comes to mind. Any questions that you have, you can email me or, or come to me afterwards. We've got 10 weeks to talk about this, so um, I want us to, to be able to dig into those things. So thank you for that. What, <clears throat> what else? What might be some things, now that you know what it's about, if you didn't before you got here, um, that you might like to hope to think about, to discuss, to learn down this, down this stream of thinking? How we interact, like the best way of interacting with the people that we interact with through our vocation. Good. We don't live in a caste culture, but I do think we have a hierarchy mm. of professions and of um, just viewing the world. And so I grew up in a much more um, focused environment on if you were in the ministry, quote unquote, then you were a better Christian than someone who was an engineer or a garbage man. And um, and so just trying to counteract that constant pressure from the world that there is a, a job that would be more pleasing to God mm -hmm. than another. 
That's a great, yes ma'am. That's a great point. That's part that's part of next week. That's good. What else? I think it's, I think it's easy to do the things that we know we ought to do as a Christian on our own hands. <laughs> I think we don't design the rest of our lives purposely um, to live as Christ in the midst of a world that is in opposition to Him and we fail at it. You know, just by pure, purely chronologically, more than 90% of our time. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, my Bible reading this morning was on. Uh, uh, you know, New Year, New, whatever. So uh, Genesis and, and Matthew and Matthew it was Jesus is called a tax collector, and he's sitting amongst them. How, you know, how do, how do you how do you be godly in the midst of uh, pagans? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What else? It's okay if there's other things. More things will come up as we go. In general, how intentional <clears throat> do you think most people are about the way they live their lives? So how intentional, how much um, proactive rather than reactive thoughtfulness do you, in general, we won't name names or self-abased, but um, how much intentionality do you think that people in our culture today give proactively towards what they do, the way they spend their time? Minimal. Minimal? <clears throat> Everybody agree or is that? Does it Does it vary across areas of life? What, what are some of the places where someone might be more thoughtful and proactive or intentional versus like, eh, whatever happens, happens? Hobbies. Hobbies. <clears throat> no. Hmm. I would say culture, just the culture you're in and the culture you were raised in, with the opportunities you. Um, I mean, we live in a country where you can plan and go do something, but not everyone lives in a country where you can plan and go do something. Um, or not everyone lives in a country where the government just, just doesn't take your money. I mean, we complain about that, but it's. Other countries, it's... Yeah. I've never had a knife to my throat. Yeah, more aggressive. <clears throat> and there's maybe different spheres and pockets of life, too. These are, these are good. Um, you know, when you're making choices, you can think about things like the school I want to go to or the major I want to have as a young, younger person or uh, who am I going to marry? Um, what city am I going to live in? What job am I going to have? Um, what house will I buy in that city? Um, what car will I drive what diet will I prescribe to? What order will I select? Um, you know, <clears throat> a lot of things are caught, a lot of things are taught. <clears throat> Fish don't know that they're wet. Um, and, uh, and it's very difficult to be in but not of the world. You know, wave after wave after wave of messages come. I'm a marketer, I'm in, I'm in marketing, and so, my job is to <clears throat> um, uh, have in, influence the way people are thinking. Messaging matters. Um, there is nothing that's neutral. Um, you're under the sun, under the lordship of Christ. And so uh, things we're getting bombarded all the time. Some things we just let that happen with, and some things we have to fight, we have to fight back against. And so <clears throat> when we think about the concept of calling, I want us to slow down and to think intentionally about it. And I look around the room. And there are people at different um, places on the timeline. Um, some of you have the crown of glory, you know, the the, um, the gray hair um, from a life well spent, I hope. And, um, and you've got wisdom, whether it's from uh, you know collecting it through the scriptures over the years, which I'm sure is the case uh, in one aspect, and then also just from the mistakes you've made, you know, that God's taught you through them. Uh, and then there are some folks that maybe have a little bit more of a horizon, you know, if the Lord wills on their life, and they're making different kind of decisions. And sometimes there's a temptation to be a, uh, an investment advisor. I ran Edward Jones for a while. Um, retirement was a big topic. Everybody's driving towards it. And once they get there, what do you do with it? 
Um, I had some philosophical maybe you know issues there because I, God doesn't really have that that concept. You know, you don't stop working. Um, you may stop the job. So, um, you know, some people get later on in life and they think, well, I'm done. I've, I've spent. I've spent. Um, so maybe I'll have 10, maybe I'll have 15, maybe I'll have 20 years left. What do I do? This, this can't be for me. In no way is that the case. Every moment that you have to spend for the Lord, you need to spend it wisely and, and intentionally. Same goes for you younger folks who have um, you know, kids that are keeping you up and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're you know, um, hanging by a thread. <laughs> uh, you also need to um, not get so overwhelmed that you cast things aside, but set aside time to think and to, uh, to plan and to be intentional. All right. Finally jumping into the lesson. <clears throat> I'm into your handout here. The caller and the call. So setting some of the terms. The term vocation has been around uh, for centuries, but its meaning and its use have fluctuated over that time. Historically, it expressed the notion of a summons. Um, it's based on the Latin word vocare, which means to call. More recently, it's kind of just been downgraded uh, to mean not much more than an occupation, like vocational training. What's your job? What do you do for a living? Um, during this class, we're going to use the terms vocation and calling synonymously. And though we're going to go into a lot more detail uh, defining them next week and beyond, for now, just think of them as uh, vocation or calling is a kind of summons to do or be a certain thing or to join a certain group or classification. So calling is a kind of summons to do or be a certain thing or join a certain group or class. Uh, you might also think of it maybe in terms of just a station in life or a role or an office, uh, which one might hold, either for life or for a season. So that's the title of this course, Vocation, What Am I Called to Do and Be? Uh, in this first class, we're going to get our bearings around the context, and to that end, you'll see on your handout, this lesson is going to include three necessary requirements of a calling, three uh, included elements, things that come along with the package, one uh, major pushback question, there may be more that come up, feel free to share them, but, uh, and then two important answers to that, and hopefully a uh, takeaway perspective that is foundational for faithfulness in the called life of the Christian. So we'll see if we can do that in 26 minutes. Um, all right. Well, like good Presbyterians and uh, hopefully biblical Christians, um, we're going to do like Paul instructs when he tells the Corinthians that all things should be done decently and in order. So we'll slow down here and try to think logically um, in principles and, uh, and, and all, all founded on the solid you know, foundation of the scriptures. So taking every thought captive here, what are three necessary requirements of a calling? The first is this, is on your outline, first point. A calling requires at least two parties. So that seems obvious, but it's a, it's a necessary distinction. Uh, the caller and the called. We are in, like I said, the fish doesn't know it's wet. We swim and breathe and live in this sea of rugged individualism. You know, um, Our desire is to be autonomous. You've heard that word. That's from the Greek autos, meaning self, namos, meaning law. I want to be a law unto myself. I want to make, make my own path. Uh, the marketing that we have. The, you, know, you, think of, you think of groups who, who, by their very nature, have to have dependence, interdependence on one another and on hierarchy and rank and all these kind of things. The military, the army. Yet we're so individualistic that the marketing campaign for the army, at one time at least, was an army of one. Like, <clears throat> there's not a single application in which that's true in military. Um, but, but that's what we want. Um, so we've got to get past the individualism and realize that it's not good for the man to be alone, man or woman to be alone. God himself even exists in Trinity. In this weird way that I don't fully understand, God has, as an attribute of himself, society. Um, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God is one. Deuteronomy is clear about that and all throughout Scripture. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, <clears throat> and yet he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, like our confession, uh, when it talks about on creation, it mentions all three persons uh, of the Trinity, because all three of them collaboratively, for their good desire, for God's good pleasure, I think is the way it's phrased, um, created all things. Meaning, he didn't, he didn't make us because he was bored and needed a plaything. He is fully satisfied within himself. And he exists in community. And he made you and me in his image, such that we need to therefore exist in community. Um, and so, um, the idea of individualism is... Um, it's a disease to our thinking. And so when we think about calling, what is it that I want to do and what is it that I want to be? How do I want to live and how do I want to spend my time? How, how many of you think about that in the context of community? Maybe think about like, well, I got to bring my wife along. Okay, or maybe, you know, my kids, whatever. They're going to, they'll be fine wherever we land. You know, that kind of thing. But do you think about that in the context of when I'm making decisions about how to spend this little bit of time that I have under the sun, this gift of life that God's given me, um, am I thinking about that in the context of community, of a caller and a called? Or is it just, let me just go in my closet, let me just think, 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 and then I'll figure out the best path. Um, I know that I do that far too often. That's the ditch I fall into, and it's utter foolishness. So I confess to you all, and you can hold me accountable. <laughs> you know, um, But that's part of how iron sharpens iron. We need to make sure we're not being foolish um, in the way that we think. So a calling requires at least two persons, the called and the caller. Uh, the idea that I am my own man is ignorance. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. <clears throat> um, and lest we think that we know best, you can look to some of the times where God chided the arrogance of man, like in Job 38. Where were you, O man, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Surely you know. You know don't, don't think yourself more, more um, equipped than you ought. Um, in a Christian context, in the truest and ultimate sense, the two parties are God and man. So creator and, and, and creation or creature. And there's a, it's, there's a reason we need to pause to think on that distinction. God is, God is holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Um, he is utterly different from us. And I just mentioned he exists in Trinity, he exists in community. Um, but he has no unmet needs. You and I do. Um, we're very, we're, we're different in that sense. Um, and we need to, maybe, that, maybe that's the drum we need to bang every, every lesson, because I, I think we forget that. I think we know that on paper, but we don't live that way. Um, we, don't, we don't recognize just how far the chasm is from God and his existence and ours. Um, I know we don't do that because we don't live in gratitude for Christ who bridged that gap. So we don't see how long of a, how far of a, chasm that is um, but in another sense the parties could be any variety of people parent child boss employee partner member uh, uh, power pastor member uh, police and citizen so forth so that's first point sorry calling requires at least two parties uh, second point a calling requires hierarchy among those parties the called submits to the caller <clears throat> uh, at least functionally <clears throat> uh, and so this, is gonna, this speaks to the structure of the relationship. The next one will speak to the warrant or the, the right. But in terms of just the structure, uh, and you can think there are some implications. We're not going to have time to, to look at them um, in detail. But uh, I, I, I would recommend if you, um, you know, want to read something, um, you know, if you're laying in bed or sitting waiting, you know, half of the adult life is just waiting on something, you know, sitting waiting on something. So... Um, Everybody's got a smartphone. Westminsterstandards.org. You can read the Westminster Confession of Faith. You can read the Shorter Catechism and the Longer Catechism, and click on all the, um, you know, the passages that underlie why they said what they said. But those are some of the confessions that are part of the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America. It's stuff that we believe. We think that it's a, a good, right, apt, and accurate summary of the Scriptures. And so <clears throat> there's some good stuff in there for you to, to look at. But in the larger Catechism. Um, there's a long exploration, I think, from uh, chapter one or question 123 to 133 about the fifth commandment. Fifth commandment, first commandment with a promise. All the other ones say, don't, 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 don't. But it says, 
positively, honor your father and mother as unto the Lord. It's the first commandment of the promise, so that you may have more life in the land that the Lord your God can give you. The Westminster breaks that down to say, rightly so, um, that doesn't just mean mom and dad, though it does, uh, but it means superiors and inferiors and equals. How do I interact with people across hierarchy, like was mentioned? Um, so that's, that's part of the notion of calling. We also don't like that. We have an egalitarian spirit in, in our land. And that's not just men, women egalitarian. That just means we want everything to be flat across the board. The notion of hierarchy is anathema to Western culture. In a, in a place where everybody's a rugged individualist, why would we not all be just equally on the same plane? That's not the way that God calls. When God created, certainly we're all made equal in his image. We're all equal worth and value, but we have very different roles, very different responsibilities, very different levels of authority, and in different spheres. Um, my wife, you know, it's Ephesians 5, 6, whatever it is, wives submit to your husband. People hate that verse, but just to your own husband. My wife does not submit to any of you, you know? She submits to me. Um, I submit to the one true God, not any false God. And so um, you know, the responsibilities and hierarchy, um, they're limited in the various spheres to which we're called. So calling requires at least two parties. Calling requires, by nature, hierarchy among those parties. And a calling requires, point three, <clears throat> authorization. The caller must have authority over the called. Um, generally by one of three ways. These are the only three I could think of. Maybe you can think of another one. But, uh, by merit, it's an earned right. By appointment, it's a given right. Um, or by worth, an intrinsic right. God has authority over me, but no one gave him that. He had it in and of himself. He's self-existent as God. Um, but, um, you know, but um, the authority that, that well, you know, that the president has, um, that's, a, that's an authority that was given to him. It wasn't intrinsic. And he may or may not have earned it. Um, but it was appointment. Um, so this speaks to the warrant of the relationship. There are implications. You can think about um, Esther. And uh, before she went to King Ahasuerus, I think in chapter 4 there, remember, if you went before the king and he did not give you authority or warrant, if he didn't call you into himself and you went before him, you could be beheaded. That was her whole thing. She had Mordecai go and tell all the Jews, please, y'all fast for three days and I'll... God gives me favor. If I die, I die. If I live, I live. But I'm going to go and, and seek you know, um, the king and hope that he won't you know, allow, allow you all to be destroyed, my people. But she had to recognize that, um, that authority. She didn't have authority. She was trying to kind of encroach on that. Thank God God was gracious and we had this wonderful story. But um, there's also a note, you know, so... Um, in God, the authority is self-existent. It's self-attested. In earthly hierarchies like parent-child or master-servant, the authority is established by God. Paul says this plainly in Romans 13.1, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There is, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Um, we don't like hierarchy. We don't like people having authority over us. We're these individuals. But recognize that all true authority if it exists, exists because God established it. And so as people who are submitting to God, our creator, God in Christ our Father, um, Jesus our Lord, our Redeemer, we need to recognize that authority is something that God has established. And, and so therefore we, we submit um, you know, in, in obedience to Christ. And um, we do it with joy as part of our calling. Um, okay, so those are the three necessary requirements. Sorry, uh, at least two parties, hierarchy among those parties, and it requires authorization. It includes some things too. The calling includes expectations. Uh, the called is expected to respond to the caller. When a police officer says "stop" or "I'll shoot," he expects you to stop. Uh, a parent, Brian Lee Cockrum, you know, you come here right now. Take hit all three names, you're in trouble. You know? um, our boss says, have a seat, we need to talk. He expects you to sit down. Um, those are you know, short, little, simple commands and not 
positional callings, but a fortiori, if, if it's true here, how much so in the greater. Um, but in Scripture, we see it too. In Genesis 3, 9, that the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You think he expected a response? Absolutely. Um, this is probably the best example that I could think of, at least in Scripture, in Matthew 8, 5 through 10. Uh, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This man understood <clears throat> that in, <clears throat> in valid callings where authority exists, there's a response that is expected. He had faith in that response, so much so that if Jesus just said the word, his person would be healed, <clears throat> his servant. So a calling expects a response. Uh, a calling, or includes expectations. A calling also includes, number two, uh, dignity. Dignity. <clears throat> Inclusion in the work of a superior through the calling of an inferior necessarily translates a dignity upon the called. So <clears throat> this is especially the case you know, of the creator God calling a, you know, a creature of the dust like you and me into his service. But even in earthly hierarchies here under the sun, the work performed by the called adds to rather than detracts from the mission of the caller. Okay, so if the called didn't do the work, uh, the work would still need to be done. The mission would be incomplete without it. And if, it, you know, uh, I, I work for um, another, uh, another elder here, Craig Jeffrey. Um, we have a you know, small company, around 30 people or so. If I didn't do what he told me to do, he's got to reallocate resources elsewhere. It's going you know, to cost him something. That the, the task won't be done if I don't do what I'm called to do. If I up and leave or refuse or whatever like that, now all of a sudden, it's not like it's, well, okay, well, he'll just do it and that's fine. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost him something. There's an opportunity cost to that. And so, <clears throat> um, but rather, when I do what I'm tasked task or called to do, um, I, I add value. The, the, the organization has progressed forward. The mission of what we're doing is um, enhanced in some way. Yeah, probably not a huge way, but enough for me to keep my job. Um, and so, um, so there's dignity in that because I have purpose in what I'm doing. I'm, I'm adding value to the world around me, to the organization. <clears throat> I'm being obedient to God. Um, so a calling includes dignity. Um, so contribution is not demeaning to the inferior, but validating, even value-bearing, as it allows the lesser to engage with and support, in some cases even better or improve the superior, or at least the work of the superior. We don't improve God. He's perfect. But um, I'm a slave to Christ, and any fulfillment of my calling from him adds to his kingdom. Uh, my labor is not in vain, he says. <clears throat> now, he doesn't need me. right? He's God. If I don't do it, someone else will. He'll, he'll, he'll make sure that his ends are accomplished, but... He gives me the right. He gives me the blessing. He gives me the dignity to be involved in the work. Seek first the kingdom, he says. Jesus commands us, seek first the kingdom, Matthew 6, 33. After directing us to pray to that end, he says in Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of the Lord's prayer. But do you notice what he commands us to pray for first and what follows? He, how does he expect us to be equipped for the task of seeking the kingdom? He says... Pray uh, to God the Father that he might give us this day our daily bread. It's Matthew 6, 11. God asks, tells, commands us to pray that he would provide for us so that we could do what we're also told to ask and seek in the kingdom. But how does he do that? How does God, whose very name is provider, Jehovah Jireh, how does he provide for us daily bread?
there was a time in history where he just dropped it down from heaven, right? Remember the manna in the wilderness? Um, but that was an exception to the norm. Uh, how does he normally provide bread for his people? He does so through means. Through means. He does so through farmers who grow and harvest grain. He does so through bakers who knead and cook dough. He does so through grocers who store and sell sliced loaves of it. He does so through uh, means. Again, in the Confession, uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5 on providence, section 1 says, God the creator of all things doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. By his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Sticking down to section 3 of chapter 5, it says, God, in his ordinary providence, maketh use of means. Yet, he is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. Of course, he's God. Um, But normally, he works through means. We're going to talk more about this in details next week. Um, But this truth was brought out um, very poignantly and succinctly by Martin Luther and some others during the Reformation. Luther would call these things the masks of God, that God was hidden in the, the, you know, the, the, the milkmaid who milked the cows and brought, you know, um, that's God providing for you. When, um, when we, when James, when he said, if you're sick, go to the elders and have them, you know, uh, one of them will pray with you that God would heal you. Yeah, please do that. That doesn't mean that he would just necessarily miraculously, if you have medicine to take for that illness, take it. Um, you know, God has created the life of my, my little girl when she was born, she had, holes in her heart with some complications. She had surgery at um, six months old. She weighed 12 pounds. And quadruple bypass, open heart surgery. Um, And her surgeon, not a believer, um, but God God created him, Dr. Cantor. Um, He he raised him up. He gave him a mom and a dad, I guess. Um, He, I mean, at one point at least. He um, gave him an education. He gave him the mind to be able to learn all of this about our body and how it works. He gave him the skills of hand to be able to do this. And, and God used him as a means to save my daughter's life. Like the, God uses means to provide. Do I think that, do I, do I praise the surgeon? I thank him. No. But God saved her through him. God is the great provider, and he's made man in his image to reflect his nature and character. He dignifies man by allowing us to participate in the provision of God to others. Uh, God made the very first man from the dust of the ground. Right? You remember in Genesis? He, he could have done that to all the rest. What, what stopped him? Was he limited in that? No. By his good pleasure, he decided to design us in such a way that uh, he would graciously dignify women uh, so that they could be the vessels that brought life into this world. Um, now, sin tainted that experience, and now it hurts. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, that's, that's labor pains because it's a work. It's labor. Um, but despite the temporary physical struggle, think of how glorious it is that God allows mankind to take part in the very creation of life itself. He didn't have to do that. He dignifies us by allowing us to serve him in his mission through our various callings. Okay, so calling includes expectations, a calling includes dignity, and a calling includes moral culpability. Moral culpability. Can you say that one more time? Sorry. Sure, no worries. Uh, Moral culpability. You're in trouble if you don't. Um, Invalid callings, those authorized by God, the response is morally required by God. It's expected. He's giving you dignity. If you don't, you're in trouble. Uh, it is not the case that the called might respond, but rather that he or she should respond, ought to respond. Uh, not responding to an authorized calling is a moral failure, <clears throat> and in that way it is a sin. 
That's a heavy, uh, we'll get to the pushback on that, but uh, Westminster Confession, or shorter catechism, rather, question 14, what is sin? Sin. Any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. So there's two different ways that you can sin in that. He says, um, the failure may be caused by a want of conformity. So that could be the result of laziness, uh, intentional ignorance, poor stewardship. You know, I didn't live up to the standard. Or the failure may be caused by this outright rebellion, transgression of um, the law, the command, the calling. So... There's our there's our, our six first points. Uh, yep, it includes uh, what did I say? Three necessary requirements. Calling requires at least two parties. There's a hierarchy among those parties. There's authorization there. A calling includes expectations. It includes dignity, and it includes uh, moral culpability. One major pushback: Can man really be blamed for not fulfilling his calling? You know, what if he just doesn't know what his calling is? Um, what if he just fully doesn't understand it to, to be able to even fully obey it? It's ignorance. He can't, he can't really be in trouble for not knowing better, can he? How can God hold man accountable to do something if we honestly don't realize what it is that we need to do? Well, there are two important answers to that, at least. <clears throat> the first one, a calling from God includes clarity of message. Clarity of message of message. God is the omniscient and omnipotent caller. He does not err. His speech is perfect and powerful. It is the mechanism whereby creation itself takes place. The source of our calling is not some earthly master or even some popular guru, but the very creator himself. The creator calls us by his word. A couple of verses here. I'm just going to... I want to read to get through. Um, all right, Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It was him who created them. Look down in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not a thing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. God creates through his Word. In Isaiah fifty-five eleven, he says, So shall my Word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God has clarity of his message, such that all men are without excuse. Romans 1 talks about that in terms of we don't worship. Those who don't worship God, they're not doing that in ignorance. From the creation of the world, God's made all of his attributes, his divine characteristics in nature, evident to all men through the creation, through the created order, through how he made them, such that all men are without excuse. Um, if he is effective in relaying himself to the world, he's also effective in relating the calling that he places upon us. Um, all right. Um, but the word isn't just some concept. The word of God is a person. He has a face, he has a voice, he has a name, and he knows ours. Jesus is the word of God, and Jesus calls us to follow him. In fact, the calling upon believers, which we call great, the Great Commission, uh, is a calling from Jesus on the basis of his perfect authority, complete authority, both here and in heaven. You know that from Matthew 28. I don't need to read it. Not only does God speak to us, <clears throat> not only does he call us in such a way as to clearly and effectively accomplish his desired end, i.e. he gets the message across, um, but he also walks with us as we hear and respond. He doesn't send us off on some task, but rather calls us and equips us to take part in his work as his beloved children. He says in the Matthew 28, I'll be with you all the way to the end. So, two important answers to that question. A calling from God includes clarity of message, and when errors exist, the blame resides with us. When errors exist, the blame resides with us. Now, this may be due to our dullness of hearing, we misunderstand, or it may be due, excuse me, from our active disobedience, our not listening to his word. God's calling is not audible, necessarily, but it is linguistic. It does come to us in words, but those words are stored up in the scriptures. They're sourced in Christ, Colossians 2.3 tells us. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are stored up in Christ. 
and written down for us to study and to understand. If we struggle to understand them, we must ask for wisdom, and he gives it graciously to those who seek it. James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. He speaks to us via scripture, and we understand by the illumination of it through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So here's the takeaway. Sorry. <clears throat> Last few minutes. In this world, there is more going on than meets the eye. And it's generally not easy to see. Um, only those with spiritual eyes to see actually see it. You can look at uh, Luke 8.10 or Romans 11.8. Those, those with spiritual eyes can actually see it. That's why we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 God calls us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mark 12. And that means we need to think on him with effort, with intentionality, with work. We have to be the living sacrifices he calls us to be, Romans 12. That means we must put off the old and put on the new by the renewal of our minds, Ephesians 4. We must take off the goggles of the world and rather put on the mind of Christ seeing things as they actually are and not as they appear to the unspiritual man. The unspiritual man, by the way, is the source of the majority of the messages and voices you hear day by day. You turn on the TV, you read the news, you read regular old books, you listen to music, you walk around, people at work, all of those things. They're not espousing to you truth rooted and founded in Christ and the Scriptures. So don't, don't take that lightly. Recognize that 90% of the input is errant. So test everything and cling only to that which is good. <clears throat> we learn of God in part by his created order. We've mentioned Romans 1. He's made himself apparent enough in creation so that all men are without excuse. But there's uh, so much more about him to learn and to know and to follow after in faith. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world, he says in 1 Corinthians 1. So pursue God in his word. 2 Timothy teaches us in chapter 3, 16 and 17. All of, I can give you my notes if you want, if you're... Um, all of scripture is breathed out by God and good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So scripture is where we're going to go to be equipped to do all of the good works that were set up for us in Christ before the foundation of the world. <clears throat> the things that we're called to do. Find God in his word, renew your mind, and take every thought captive to, to the obedience of Christ. And then look out to the world with those good news goggles, the good news of the kingdom of God, and see what needs to be done. He says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and trust him to provide all of your needs. This is how you find and obey your calling. This is how you live the life of faith, and this is how you please God. It's all a faith. It's all a grace. It's all a gift. This is not works righteousness. But on the basis of Christ's work for us and Christ at work in us, we work out our faith and our salvation, as he says in Philippians, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we love him through obedience to his callings in our lives. As Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. And that's all for today. Um, any questions that come to mind before we close in prayer and worship this Lord? Right, well, let me pray because we're at time. Father in heaven, you are good. You are the great caller. And we are here called by you, desiring to know what it is that you want us to do and to be. Help us now, Father. Please give us wisdom that comes from Christ so that we can be useful to you. Help us to be able to return the love that you've so lavishly poured out on us through our obedience to you as you called us to do, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.